Good morning, benders and non-benders alike, and welcome to the Republic City Dispatch, a radio program that covered the entirety of Nickelodeon's Legend of Korra series. This week, we return for book four, Balance. The Avatar is in hiding while Kuvira leaves Afu to form the Earth Empire. Toph returns to get Korra in fighting shape, and Kuvira probably overreaches when she builds a giant spirit-powered mech suit. Who will save Republic City and free the Earth Kingdom? Will it be Matt, Dave, Joanna, and Devendra? Hello, and welcome to another episode episode of Republic City Dispatch. This is our final episode again. Question mark, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> it's always again. hard to say. I've heard that last. before, yeah. Patches. We've been there. We've been there. But yeah, this is this is a podcast about book four, Balance, um, the final season of The Legend of Korra, uh, in, in our final mini-series, I guess, of looking back at these seasons. Now that the show is completely on Netflix and we are completely different people in the year 2020 <laughs> um what is the show like and holy cow i can't wait to talk about this season because um i guess after zaheer I, my mind was just kind of blown by that and this was a big old action movie that i loved but man i feel like there's so much to talk about when it comes mm. to you know, to 2020 um but who am i going to talk about <laughs> with i'm going to talk about it with davindra hardawar hello hello and Joanna Robinson. Oh, hello there. And Dave Gonzalez. What a season to talk about poisoning nationalism. <laughs> oh, boy. There's nothing related <laughs> to now about this season. Um, okay, well, before we dive in, Dave, what actually happened in book four? <clears throat> All right, so just briefly, three years after the defeat of Zaheer, the vain Prince Wu is about to be crowned Earth King, and Mako is assigned as his bodyguard. The airbenders are stretched thin, trying to maintain balance as Korra has been gone for three years and returned to society in secret, fighting a little remaining poison in her system and her own trauma. Over the past three years, Kuvira has risen to lead an army of metalbenders and mech suits to unite the Earth Kingdom after Zaheer murdered the Queen. Kuvira doesn't abdicate her temporary position as leader of the Earth Kingdom at Wu's coronation and declares herself leader of the new Earth Empire and determined to unite the final holdout city-state, the Beifongs, in Zaofu. Korra gets some help from the original Beifong, Toph, who has been hanging out by the spirit Banyan tree spying on the world through spirit vines. Tenzin sends his children to find Korra and they find their way to the in the swamp, where they encourage Korra to accept Toph's help and deal with her trauma. Korra removes the poison from herself and rushes to Zaofu to face Kuvira, but Kuvira beats her in one-on-one -on -one combat. Kuvira takes Zaofu, imprisons Su Yin and some of her children, separates Varric and Julie, forcing the latter to develop a spirit-wide weapon technology and sending Varric and Bolin to a re-education camp. Then there's a clip show. <clears throat> Varric and Bolin escape and make their way back to Team Avatar in Republic City with news of Kuvira's new spirit cannon that is causing the spirit wilds to attack Republic City citizens because she's harvesting vines from the banyan tree. Korra goes to Zaheer to help her break out her break out of her spirit trauma and into the spirit world and rescue Janora from the Republic City spirit wilds. Bolin helps Opal and the other Beifongs fight Kuvira in an awesome rescue mission that even ropes in Toph. Kuvira attacks Republic City to reclaim it as Earth Empire territory and does it earlier than Team Avatar expects and with a giant mecha suit with an arm-mounted spirit cannon. Thanks to the sacrifice of Asami's father, Team Avatar manages to dis disable the mech after a lengthy battle and after Kuvira rips the mech's blaster arm 
arm and throws it into the spirit wilds. Korra fights Kuvira out of the mech and chases her into the spirit wilds where Kuvira activates the big gun manually, but accidentally starts a gigantic energy burst as the gun keeps drawing from the surrounding spirit vines. Korra blocks the beam from killing Kuvira while in the avatar state, causing a discharge of energy so great it creates a third spirit portal. Kuvira steps down, Varric marries Jolie, and Korra and Asami get together, deciding to take a vacation in the spirit world. Whoa. Suck at Game of Thrones. You can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> what can do this? This is the wackest show. I love it so much. Just hearing Dave talk about it, I'm like, oh, it's so wild. It's so good. Spirit I wild. want more, more things after seeing this, yeah. I mean, go read Turf Wars, the, the <laughs> sequel comic. I actually have not gotten around to Turf Wars. We will not be talking about Turf Wars, I don't believe. That's a, that's a future episode. I actually have, I think, all the comics. I read one of them and just never read around to the others. But, is that yeah. about, collector that's about uh, J.K. Rowling spinning out on Twitter? Oh, boy. Oh, dear God. I love Everything's that joke. Everything's different that in a, That was a great joke. That is true. Everything is different. Um, where to begin with book four? Um, actually, here's my question for you. Do you think we should have seen more of the aftermath of Zaheer? It's certainly the part I'm most interested about. Like, how did uh, the, the piece... We, how didn't the, we see it? Didn't we see the aftermath of Zaheer? I mean, I guess we got some of it. I just, yeah, I'm wondering, yeah. like, what, what is the... What happened that allowed Kuvira to become this this thing? Um, I mean, I guess well, we I mean, there's a little show not tell in this season, <laughs> is but uh, the Republic City uh, Council of Elders, of which Tenzin is a part of, uh, but also the Fire Lord and uh, representatives from the Water Tribes, are suddenly left with like this Earth Kingdom vacuum. And they are like, Su Yin, you are the badass Beifong, uh, and you made Zaofu this really progressive city. You should step in and uh, take the head of the Earth uh, Kingdom. And Su Yin's like, uh, that would be really easy to seize power from, and I'm not going to do that. And Kuvira's like, well, if she's not going to do it, I'm going to do it. And uh, takes that power. And like Su Yin predicted, when it comes time to give over control of the Earth Empire army at that point, uh, it has become more loyal to Kuvira than to uh, Wu, who is an interesting new character this season. Uh, that is, he's really uh, the Dan know. Quayle of the. Wow, he's a Whoa. he's like a he's a, <laughs> really going back. <laughs> he's like a MacGuffin joke box uh, squished into one thing. Uh, that you know gets his own catchphrase. That's woo down, woo down. Uh, but also you know very much takes, uh, the emperor, the emperor from Emperor's New Groove, right? Oh, Cusco. yeah, one point, yeah. one point. Like nice. just straight up that. Yeah, he likes to sing. He likes to dance. He likes badger moles. He doesn't Downs much band. like leading. Yeah. Yeah. Has a whiny high voice like David Spade. Like it all works. Yeah, not everyone's. Yeah. A leader. Did I, oh, I like. I literally had to look it up twice because I refuse to believe that that wasn't Paul Shear doing the voice. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. Uh, even, though, even though I like knew it wasn't because I, yeah. I was like, you would already know this fact, Joanna. So you know <laughs> yes, it's not. Yes. And then I looked it up and I was like, okay, it's not. And then like a couple episodes later, I'm like, but are we sure? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's really nice that they do keep him slight because they sort of run out of time at the end of the series. And one of the last scenes of the series is him being like, oh, I just decided it shouldn't be a monarchy anymore. And it's like, whoa, 
geopolitically, that seems like it'd be a bigger move, but that's cool uh, because it's Wu, and Wu could just do that and be okay with it. Wu and out. you're like, cool. Yeah. Things are yeah, rapidly gonna... changing. I mean, if we know anything about the world, it's that things can rapidly flip-flop into totally different ideologies and I mean, political structures. Remember that time when the Earth King was like, BRB going on a tour of the world with my bear? <laughs> like, I feel like the role of the monarch in the Earth Kingdom has been fluid for a while yeah you know. well but then he died and then that bear got eaten yeah is that's the sad reality <laughs> it's a fact. It's a so fact. maybe Wu is uh maybe Wu will live a happier life uh not having to deal with actually Wu will definitely live a happier life not having to I'm deal excited. with ruling anybody i'm excited for Wu and mako and the beautiful life that they're going to build together as they are definitely <laughs> gay together uh in this oh, season yeah. wow that would Why make not? mako too interesting because uh, mako's is- a bore Come on. This is, the, this is the best Mako is. He's sidelined from like Korra and Asami, and it's it's isn't this the best Mako? <laughs> I think it's the first like not repressed Mako. Right, it's, right. Yeah. Right. He needs yeah, yeah. Where he's not he entangled the in these familiar dynamics, these heteronormative <laughs> he has just found dynamics. His purpose and it is to like <laughs> be the like eye rolling voice of wisdom to this hapless royal and uh abolish you know <laughs> The monarchy in the in the Earth Kingdom. I'm I'm, I'm think, happy for Mako finding. I'm gonna this. live with this head cannon. <laughs> I think uh, the thing that I dislike the most about this season is the clip show. And as a fan yeah. of the uh, Ember Island players, it's not that I don't dislike a clip show. It's that that this clip show is a very clippy because Ember Island players was not actually clips. Uh, but also, B, it's really lampshady. Mm-hmm. Like, I think we talked about it also when we were doing the podcast as this was airing. It's like, oh, these are all the conversations we were having on Tumblr made into an episode with, like, <laughs> chibi heads making the comments, which is fine, but it is the thing that sort of repivots uh, Mako to, like, oh, wait, so he was never a good character? Okay. <laughs> like, I, th- there were times I felt like I liked him in, like, the past couple of books, but this one is definitely, like, nope, here it is. His ho- He got tangled up in a romance. He never knew how to handle it. <laughs> that that was the sum total of his character. So Damn. I think we might have, in book one, I think maybe Joanna said something, like, and then, you know, I have trouble remembering anything else Mako does because he doesn't do anything else. And I was like, hey, yeah, me too. And then I watched (laughs) book two and three, and I'm like, oh, wait, I remember Mako does something. And now I remember, having watched book four, why we remember him as a blank is because that's kind of the final word on Mako is in the clip show. Mm -hmm. Like, after that, he does the self-sacrifice with the lightning, which is good. And he's, like, Uh, chill at the wedding. I... uh... I, but it's like it's like a half a Chewbacca. But he's, isn't he's gone, no, no, no. He's, But the show the show seasons. is about Korra growing beyond Mako. I mean, in yeah. so many ways and so many things yes. that happen in book four, it's like Mako is supposed to be a main character. He's supposed to be the main character probably in any other show with any other studio notes. And here you have him like drifting away and uh, detaching from the kind of obvious relationship that probably would have taken form if this was a controlled show in some other network where the creators didn't have total control. Um, It's awesome to see him kind of like drift away and flake. And it's not necessarily, it's not a flaw of the show. It's the choice of the show. And it's, it's actually quite daring to let that hero, that that main character of book one, like disappear. Um, Um, Yeah. Especially the like, you know, cis presenting male, like hero. Um, The, uh, (laughs) 
the uh, the clip show, I also was like, what is this Ember Island player, like, bull- like knockoff <laughs> bullshit, whatever. And I looked it up and it was like a budgetary thing. I mean, we oh, I'm sure. known that at the time, but it was like, they, it's not, they, they were like, this is this is the best we can do of an Ember Island thing. They were out of money. and so They had like they just, five minutes of new animation, I think, yeah, right? It was just yeah, like, hey, so clips. The, and so they just did clips and like, and I will say that at least there's the like, Varric section, which yes, is which great. is the best. It is which so is good. Great. The whole thing should have been Varric. That would have been great. Um, but uh, yeah, because I the joke is argument. nobody wants to be friends with Unalak, which is yes. true. Like, let's <laughs> so just good. let's keep Unalak out of all this. Let's not call and, him. Let's not tell him what we're and doing, I love, guys. Like, I was talking about this in, um, I think, uh, a previous one of these episodes that we've done, mm-hmm. where I like wanted to say that but couldn't because it was it was a book four spoiler. But I was just like, I love the show. It, it is. Lame. Shady, and the book is like, guess what? Unlock bad villain. We get it. We agree. <laughs> Nobody likes him. Um, also, bonus of uh, our other two major villains don't have animatable mouths, so you can make them say anything on the phone and not have to pay for that. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I like it. It's amazing to me. That uh, well, our, I mean, I don't conversation like it, about but, uh, you know. book four has begun with the clip show. <laughs> <laughs> All about the clip show. Um, well, let's talk about. I mean, Cora is on such an interesting path here too. But because we were talking about how this the, the kind of ramp up to the season, let's talk about Kuvira. And as mentioned at the top of the show, like I found this villain and this saga even more terrifying than I did back in the day. And uh, what was striking is that like Bolin is on our team. I, I maybe I didn't overthink that as much at the time, but holy shit, it's like, and then then Suyin's son being on our team. It's really about like MAGA heads um, mm-hmm. being in your family and like being in your friend group and being like, oh no, oh no, oh well, you're gonna go over not, there. I think I think yeah, like that maybe discounts what they're doing, but it's more like. I think people who are easily tricked, like Bolin. Bolin makes a lot of sense for falling into this because he's uh, not not the brightest one, but uh, yeah. The but sun. he's an emotional yeah. person who yeah. wants, yeah. he hears the Kuvera's message, like, let's bring people together. Let's Good intentions, cut but not this. Yeah, it, not a deep it, thinker, that guy. It makes Kuvera sense. also targeting him. Mm-hmm. Like, she knows she needs Bolin on yes. her side, and so yes. she's feeding him, like, extra special package lies <laughs> of, like, what her... Uh, yeah, it's not that Bolin's now. slow. It's that he wears his heart on his sleeve. I mean, he's he an is, emotional person. He's pretty he's slow. slow. He's pretty oh, slow. I mean... <laughs> yeah. I'm finding he myself has, in a position defending people. He has <laughs> other qualities. He's my favorite, but he's not um, the sharpest tool in her arsenal. Mm-hmm. That would be Varric, probably. Uh, but, you know... <laughs> Julie. It'd be Julie. 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 It would definitely be Julie. Uh, Outplayed Varric uh, the the entire time. So true. It's so good. Um, how, how did Kuvira strike you guys this time around? I love her. Um, <laughs> this is so. This is uh, Zelda Williams, right? Robin Williams' yes. daughter. Yes. Um, and I think she's fantastic. And um, I love this character as like a a dark twin to Korra. We've talked about other characters that potentially yes. like a dark twin to Korra, but this to me seems like, you know, especially like, especially that Suyin rejects the power in a sort of like Galadriel move where she's like, <laughs> no, I cannot have the ring. I will be too terrifying of a queen and stuff like that. You know what I mean? And so then like, mm-hmm. Bukuvir's like, oh no, power, I got this. And it's like, you know, there before the grace goes the avatar and, um, you know, especially when yeah. Kuvira makes herself like this giant invulnerable mech suit <laughs> sort of thing. That's a very like, you know, uh, mm-hmm. g- m- giant Korra sort of potential. So I-, I love 
I love this positioning of Kavira. I love her uh, her ending as well. Uh, that it ends with a lot of empathy. Apparently, I haven't read them, but apparently she has like a whole interesting arc in the comics afterwards and stuff like that. So it's not just like lock her up and throw away the key for for what she did. Um, I think and yeah, um, yeah, yeah, and and that it comes from a place of fear that 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 her like authoritarianism doesn't come just from power lust, but the source of it is. Of fear of being too vulnerable, and I I just <laughs> think that that's I think it's all very interesting. She she is such a twin, by the way, that they had to. I feel like that's part of the reason they changed Cora's hair for this season because you need to have her in short hair because by the end fight they look so similar. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's so crazy. Like you would actually lose track of them in in the fight. You know, if uh, if they both had long hair and the same basic face shape and everything. I really like that last uh, fight that they have. Um, but I, I mean, I think overall, if I want to be like judge it on its face, uh, I think giant mech suit with a cannon on its arm is like a little too far for Kuvira, a little too fast. And I think they kind of know that and are able to dodge us asking a lot of questions by having her move up her attack and have the giant mech suit ready. Mm-hmm. Uh, without us like sort of like hinting at it um but then i do like um like everything before that how it's this very gentle anti-colonialist like (laughs) creep that is also simultaneously nationalist where it's like you know the earth kingdom should be together as one is one thing and then but also republic city is ours is like another thing (laughs) So her, I like her. I like her little jump. I think that makes her a little bit less relatable because um, there's like a huge difference between the Kuvira that is developing. I think like a spirit vine weapon while reuniting states in the empire, and then Endgame Kuvira that's like, well, you're with my fiance, but I gotta shoot this giant mech suit's spirit vine arm at you because you're in the same building as everybody else. And that just seems like a little bit too far, but um, I do, I mean, I also like how fast this season moves, so yeah. I don't think that's necessarily a negative as much as it's just, if this were twice as long, I would like to see a little bit more of that arc, because we spend that arc basically with Bolin and Varric, because we spent the first part with Kuvira, so I see like why they reversed it. But yeah, there's a little bit in the middle of this season where Kuvira, Kuvira's true intentions are kind of a mystery again. Yeah, we're on and the outside. I, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and and what makes her all the more compelling is like the alternative is beginning of season woo, and you're like, well, yeah, I vote for the scary lady like over yep. woo. I don't <laughs> want that guy in charge. So, um. Yeah, so it's, it, you know, just like all the other villains and the, like, continuing, like, Killmonger effect that we've been talking about, the pre-Killmonger effect, I guess. It's just sort of, you're sort of like, I get it. She doesn't want Wu in charge. She didn't want the Earth Queen, someone like the Earth Queen back in charge. That make yes, I understand. This is not the way. Though, yeah, no one wants to vote like for this. the <laughs> dynasty. They want to vote for the disruptor. Right. <laughs> yes, She's I'm seeing, the shake things up. I yeah. mean... Come on, it's there. It's all like weirdly oh, all there. there, and it's spooky. Actually, how how there it is. Doesn't um, she like literally drain the spirit swamp? You know. <laughs> well, she she hacks the trees. <laughs> she attacks the vines. Uh, Attack a swamp. She certainly oh, does man. not care for nature. Uh, I, I feel like my my one yeah. thing, by the way, by the end of the season is where 
where do you build the giant mech? How do you prepare the giant mech and nobody else knows? And there's a Especially, lot of desert in this world. There's a I, lot of open I guess, space. I guess. It's just one of those things. I do like seeing the surprise reveal of a giant mech, though. And I wanted to text all of you guys to just go watch the first episode of Neon Genesis Evangelion, which I, I assume you probably have at this point. Say. Oh, yes. But that is very <laughs> much. No, I the, still have it. But I was oh, like, Joanna, Devendra, oh, Joanna. Devendra's about to say Evangelion. That is, that is the next thing, because also the reveal of the giant robot of just like, something something big and like uh something right over the mountainside basically something so large that's insane that is straight up an evangelion nod so it's it's pretty great and pretty terrifying and hey that's your show folks if you have not yeah. watched that yet go watch on uh, netflix i prefer the big o what do you think about that big o is good but it's not it's very different big yeah, o is basically batman in weird 50s anime vibe yeah I mean, I want to jump show. in here yeah. and defend something I said last <laughs> book, which is that uh, book three is the best animated book. I stand by that mm-hmm. simply because a lot of this is 3D animated mech suits. Yes. Which is, it looks very good, for, but it is like fundamentally different. It's out of place. Uh, you when you said yeah. that? Uh, I think he's... <laughs> Straw man. Someone brought up Operation Beifong, which again is a great episode, mm-hmm. has a great fight sequence in it. But in terms of like uh, best animated season, I think it. I it think goes I said to, that um, book three. Brian thought that that was his favorite animated scene when I did like. Mm-hmm. 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 Fight, it's cool. The, the fight is amazing. Cool. The fight where she like wraps Bay metal Bay around. Yeah. Them. Oh, so good. Um, but yeah, no, you're right. You're absolutely right. Because yeah, every time the like CG mech stuff is happening, you're like, eh. I hate that. I don't know. I'm pretty. I, I'm down with the CG <laughs> mech stuff because it's a it's a big mech in something that I never expected to have st- a big mech. It's just the style. The style it, of the yeah. wide shot like, when you get to see how yeah. big it is compared to everyone tiny on the well, ground. Well, but it's a, really it's great. a weird decision to go with a 3D render yes. when you know in your story there's going to be a period where it's swatting at other like mecha flies. It just seems like that's an easier thing to sell in 2D animation. Period. <laughs> So I would have forgiven even like if the tiny one stayed 3D and then the giant one was like some sort of mm-hmm. uh, mixed effect, which I, again, uh, as Joanna brought up, the budget is the budget. So yeah, I understand yeah. why that wasn't possible. But in terms of like the best stuff here is the fights uh, between Kuvira, who has figured out uh, projectile metal bending, which is was hinted at uh, with the sports of the two uh, Beifong boys in yeah. book three. But in terms of like a fighting style, <laughs> uh, the metal bending had been stuck to like Spider Manning. But then Kovira comes along with her, uh, I don't uh, know, suit suit of many bands of metal. She's so cool. <laughs> she's and, so uh, cool. Yeah, it makes it work. Sorry, I don't mean to like fetishize the fascists, but like but, Kovira I mean, is awesome. yeah, it, it's I very mean, this much is like, part of it, though. Yeah, the full metal alchemist vibe that she gives <laughs> off of just like super powered person in a fascist suit, you know. Um, that first fight between Kuvira and Korra is so oh, good. Where she's like jogging backwards yeah. and she's yeah. like, what do you well, got? They do, they do the like tracking camera thing or like yes. the, the shaky cam. I'm like, oh, this is so good in animation. It just always feels good. But also that fight, like the dramatic stakes are there and Korra's in so much trouble and Kuvira's just like toying with her. That is like what I love about action you know because that is telling you everything about these characters where they are who you know what they're doing right now what their personalities are there's so much story in that fight you know 
Yeah, it's a great climax point, too, because up until that point, those are like the two emotional stories that we're following. Mm-hmm. So it gets to the point where it's like, not only do they face off one-on-one, on one, which the story has led me to believe that if Korra beats Kuvira, Kuvira at that point is still honorable enough to be like, all right, that was it. I made the terms. I did it. And I know that Korra, you know, thinks she's better, but actually hasn't fought in her pre-heeled state. So I know that like core, the stakes are high for like both of them. Mm-hmm. The The secondary fight has to raise because Kuvira is at the level of, oh, I'll just use my giant mech suit. It has to become like she's going to manually pull the trigger on this giant gun <laughs> after she's fled just because she has to win, uh, which is, you know, that's a move. Luckily, you could track uh, Kuvira's state of mind by her hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, like all good anime, yeah. mm-hmm. as yes. as the hair gets more tussled, yep. we know that they're oh. internally having problems. Uh, the Azula effect. Uh, Speaking yeah. of anime hair, uh, <laughs> Tano is the uh, I forgot that he's the the trombone player at Julie and Varric's wedding. Uh, we don't see him bend, so do we think that Tano just permanently had his bending taken away and Korra never gave it back to him? <laughs> that would be a wicked yeah. thing to do. I feel like, no. I mean, this is what you get for cheating, Tano. Okay. Yeah. This is the price you but pay. Maybe he's just found his true joy and purpose in life, uh-huh. which is to be a musician. Well, I think regardless if he has a bending or not, but they do, you know, they def- definitely make a point of being like, there's Tano. He's playing trombone. He's happy. He doesn't bend. It's yeah. fine. He's, he's, he's uh, he doesn't clearly bend. been rejuvenated. Guys, <laughs> we need to talk about like the biggest win of the season, which we haven't mentioned yet, right? Which is the original Beifong, like the freaking oh, yeah. well, turn of top. Ah, I was gonna say we should so go. Good. We should go back now that we've talked about the first Kuvira Korra fight. Let's talk about setting Korra back up and like reintroducing Toph because I think it's pretty fascinating where she's at, just trauma wise. I mean, yes. we've dealt with we've dealt with her trauma before. She seems to just have a very strong memory infused with her ima- uh, dream imagination. She's constantly having flashbacks to like horrible things that have happened to her. And this season, it's and she's double down like. She's poisoned at the beginning of the season. She's fighting in fight clubs. Um, Cora's in a, in a strange place when she meets Toph. What did, what did you think about how it picked back up this, this season? I think this depiction of trauma. So so in between us recording about book four, book three and, and book four, uh, a, re- a friend of mine who I like love to talk to about stories like that uh, decided to watch Cora. And he was texting me through it. And he was like... I don't like Korra and I really want to like Korra and I'm really frustrated that I don't like her, but I don't like her. And I was like, well, maybe in book four, like you'll get there. And then he never did. And that's okay. That's his own thing. And he like, he cried when Toph showed up because he loves Toph so much and all that <laughs> sort of stuff like that. But like, I think the Korra, the, the, this is the Korra that I find the most compelling, which is like really traumatized. Not that I, sh- I need her to be in so much pain, but like the depiction of trauma is so strong. The depiction of trauma as being haunted by a version of yourself, a stronger version of yourself, uh, is a, such a like striking visual. And then the whole concept of Toph like going full Yoda and being like, "You're still <laughs> poisoned. You're holding on to the poison. You want the poison in you." you know yeah. because because it's comfortable for you in some way that is some like great psychology manifested as like physical drops of metal in your body sort of thing and you need to be the one to draw it out yourself and all this sort of stuff like that you know and the kids are there cheering her on and it's like it's so strong this that's like i think it's the strongest 
bit of storytelling that that Korra does, or maybe even anything in the Avatar verse does, about like um, our real life pain translated into the spiritual metaphysical world of of this show. Yeah, you know, I I think a lot about the way we don't talk about survivorship in this world, and we don't talk about the things people encounter. What's fascinating about this depiction of trauma is that Korra won. Korra beat Zaheer. Sure, sure. And she almost died doing it, but yeah. She almost yeah. died doing it, and, and many people would be like, hey, you won. You're alive. Mm-hmm. Like, let's go. You, you didn't... Not, what bad happened to you? you? You walked away from this, and I feel like so often, so many... People intentionally or not, um, often unintentionally, just feel like people can walk, stand up, and, and keep walking in this world. And here's a story that's like the she avatared out. She's the strongest person in the world, and she won, and yet she is dramatized. She is haunted by almost dying in this conflict, and people can't help her. People can't deal with that immediately or know that she would be traumatized so she has to walk away from her entire life like what a heavy concept but something that uh, shows up in so many walks of life that people don't even know people don't listen Mm -hmm. in that way and this by the way i think is a good it is a good step in the hero's journey because i'm also very tired of the like the very i don't know the very rote thing we've gotten from campbell and from star wars and from so much other fantasy right like i feel like they've toyed with this before too in cora the end of season one we all thought hey she gonna jump off that cliff? Like, what? It, what is up with Cora? <laughs> so I feel like them wrestling with her emotions and how she feels about herself is really well done. Also, there's a big time jump. I remember, was this the season where they just kind of started airing it right after season three? Remember? Yes. They had, like, dumped yes. two seasons yeah. one after another. So we didn't even really feel that time jump, like, even watching it real time. <laughs> and this it was, was like online. In between, this was in on between book two and book three in universe there was like six weeks or something and there was like a much longer month period between us getting it animated and this one there's a three-year period in between books but it was like a couple of weeks yeah weird Eh, eh, (laughs) doing a rewatch those are the things i don't mind so much anymore yeah uh i really like it though as this is an ending point for cora's like last arc uh because she finally um learns not to run into every problem and she has to go through you know personal trauma what she comes out on the other end of is like her ultimate act of creating another spirit portal comes from her ultimate defensive action which is she puts herself in danger to go into the avatar state because it's the only thing that's going to save kuvira and at that point, it's like she doesn't even know if it's going to stop the spirit vine. So it's not it's mm-hmm. the only thing that could save Republic City. It's the only thing that could save Kuvira. And so rather than continuing the fight or continuing to fight as older Korra would have done, because every problem is one that can be Avatar stated away, uh, it becomes the most offensive the Avatars ever we've ever seen the Avatar been. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of where we where we leave her, which is, I think, pretty great. And she's pretty even great. like... Let Republic City take care of itself. I'm going to go on vacation. <laughs> That's pretty great. I did, also, I, yeah. I enjoy the the teamwork, by the way, of the whole final section, yes. too, because I feel like that is when this whole universe is strongest, and you got Bolin and Mako doing their bits in the engine. You have, uh, who is it, Lin and Sue, like, taking on other aspects of it, like, splitting up the team, breaking up the fight. I think they took and down just the like, cannon arm, don't they? Yeah, they yeah, took down the cannon arm. Down. It was also, like, <laughs> methodical. And then, yeah, um, who's Asami's father, 
sacrificing oh, himself just to make yeah. a hole in the in the side like great drama just great drama throughout like great tension throughout that whole final the, section the saito thing it works for me but i almost wish uh they had asami like sort of start that reconciliation process yeah. earlier in yeah. the season yeah uh then it wouldn't feel so like we just set this up so that his <laughs> you know his death will matter to her uh in a few episodes you know what i mean yeah so. just gonna reiterate by the way saito clearly Hayao Miyazaki like I think even more so they just took Miyazaki's face and modeled Saito after it which is very strange (laughs) (laughs) although if you see the uh, any of the the Ghibli like documentaries and stuff about Miyazaki's work process like he is oh is he bad he is well no he's 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 tough hard he's He's tough tough. like he's a tough tough taskmaster he's a tough man a genius Genius, a genius tough, he is he's man, not yeah. great on his son you know because he's his definitely son, horrible with goro because uh, goro is like, like living in his father's shadow forever so it's uh, just it's one of those things but it's i feel man. for miyazaki because i i get his pessimism because he is a guy who grew up as a kid grew up in the wreckage of world war ii and saw a society completely collapse around him adults fail him and it was kids who could you know see things forward and i feel a bit <laughs> of that energy here too it's like it is the kids saving this universe once again with the new airbender tribe and everything wow that's actually a great i never really thought of saito in that way but he is analogous to to miyazaki's resentment to to youth culture and to change um into like can't we maintain the status quo because the status quo is beautiful or like he you know uh, saito and him are very different because (laughs) i think if you see the wind rises like miyazaki is not out to make weapons of any sort he's about to Mm -hmm. make beautiful art but he is out to like pound away at society um and and resent like 3d animation for instance he i mean i I don't fucking mech suit he would hate that i hate the mech suit too and by the way this is a thing that is happening within the anime industry too yes. because there are a lot of there are anime shows they're 3d animated so oh. it's basically just like bad cg that look models like cell shaded that look like I mean, yeah cell shaded yeah. garbage so like they did there's this a new too. ghost in the shell anime that's on netflix oh my god exactly i looked that. at the and trailer for that new ghost in the shell and it looked Super like garbo. 90s cg yeah. garbage like it looks, yes, it looks like we'll, a reboot we'll get there guys we'll, we'll get, there. get there guys this is this is the animation genre that oh takes the absolute cheapest things and make yeah. it look good so somebody will figure it out no it, it can there yet. it can be done well i've seen like i think there was an apple seed or something mm, movie oh, yeah. from like the mid 2000s that had done it well like it is possible but it's clearly right now it's a tool used to make animation look cheap and in anime uh, one of my favorite series berserk is basically destroyed by bad cg animation where the characters barely move there's no articulation i'm glad at least cora is like one of our last great testaments to like you know actual traditional animation even though there's some cg in there yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, they, they at least made the smart choice where they're like, well, at least can the 3D <laughs> things be robots? Yeah. Because then they, they can move like that. And they're like, okay, cool, cool. They're cool. robots. It's like, all right, good, good. P- punch in. Time, uh, one robot. Okay, cool. We animated it. Uh, times 40. There we go. Scene's done. <laughs> robots. Oh, anyway. all the all the CG artists are going to come at us now. But hey. I listen. mean, yes, that's not how it works in 3D animation. <laughs> what? It, okay, what, it, what I will say is it's a different skill. Mm-hmm. And Studio Mir has spe- at this point spent the entire run of Avatar, The Last Airbender, and the entire run of Legend of Korra with a very few episode exception, exceptions figuring out how this works. 
um, and then switching them over to full CG walking mech suits, it's obvious that the you can't take what they learned from mech suits in season one, book one, and apply it to it for some reason. Right. And it just feel it feels awkward. Right. But and I also think it's a reason that a lot of this uh, takes place in like a desert or things <laughs> that are evenly lit in brown, yellow. Uh, weirdness whereas like if it's in the swamp it could look like beautiful if it's in the spirit where it looks great if the mechs have to be there it kind of has to look like this uh but you know uh, again i don't like bringing this up it just it is <laughs> it's, it's just a, it's a fact. it's a great yeah you at this point nickelodeon was obviously trying to taper off uh legend of Korra because it wasn't performing as they said is um do we know that? that? Do we know that for a well, fact? Well, they pushed it online. Don't forget, like it stopped airing, and it was. Only I know, I know but here's my theory like about content that. Content yeah. reasons. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it has to do with content reasons. I think it has to do with is this a platform that we could be better monetized? It felt mm. yeah. like even with the lifespan Star of Trek Netflix. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like, could, why wouldn't we just put this online and reap better rewards or something? Early, I wondered if early. it was more of an experiment. Like, of course, people are going to show up and watch Korra, so let's put it in a different space to see if they will. Yeah. Um, even I, though I obviously like, they're getting slammed from the budget and it's, yeah. that seems transparent. They've been transparent about that. But if Cora had aired like five years later when Netflix and Hulu and everything was in a more, was in a better spot to pick up shows. then I feel like they could come along and say, Hey, Hey, Nickelodeon, we will just take the show off your hands. You know, let's form a deal here. Yeah. This would have been an invader Zim movie yeah. or the Rocco movie. Uh, it would have played out that way. It would have been a mm-hmm. Netflix exclusive. Um, and now, who knows what's going to happen? Netflix still got their Avatar show, in theory. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in theory, allegedly. allegedly. Um, I, um, yeah, oh, sorry, go, go I was just going to say, we, we, we talked about Saito, so we could talk about Asami, but I kind of want to wait to talk about Asami yeah. until the end, maybe the yeah. end of the episode. Um, so Let's I, talk about Bullet and yeah. Derek some more. And Let's how please. it's the best buddy road comedy ever, and how much I love their dynamic, and how much I love Varric, and... How much I love, uh, we talked about this already when like Varric is a villain-ish in season two. I mean, yeah, he's a villain. Uh, War Profiteer is <laughs> not yes. a good thing to be. Um, villain but he's a fun two. villain. So we like it. So fun. Uh, and then he's back a little bit in season three, but like season four, they were like, we really know what we have here in Varric. And he's he's like basically a central, like one of the core gang of the final season. And I just, I I love that because that is really using um, Lenny into a strength. He's so good. Like, I just think, I think the first season of Korra, <clears throat> I still struggle with the tone of that season. I just don't think it's as lively as it needs to be mm-hmm. and i feel like once you like really lean into stuff like Varric or you know even a character like Wu, who's like a little annoyingly goofy at the beginning of the season but then really calibrates to a good level of goofy as yeah he's not quite one. kai yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> kai so. who's around still? who is around don't worry he got Just, older d- he just doesn't get an arc this season because, you know, <laughs> we, we didn't want him to. But yeah, John Michael Higgins, that voice performance is yeah. Epic. taking full just advantage incredible. of someone who can improvise, someone who must have been like waving their hands around in the Ugh. studio, who seems to have all the energy in the world. Um, his, his character is fascinating that, as you mentioned, like definitely a war profiteer, definitely bad. Um, but how do, does he redeem himself? Does he come around? Or like, I'm trying to think of like what He's types like a of more characters fun like this have Iron we seen Man. before? 
in a way. Like it's Iron Man. <laughs> it's Iron Man. Like, he's comedy. Well, actually, in all, Iron Man was also fun and quippy and comedy guy. So, yeah, yeah. But not tough, you know. Varric, Varric is our Tony Stark and Julius yeah. is Pepper Potts. And I do love that, like, uh, you know, Dave talks about how much this season sort of aggressively lampshades certain things. Not just, not just in the Chibi episode, <laughs> but like elsewhere. But I do like the whole thing where they're like, hey, guess what? This way you treat Ju- Julie is funny and sucks. So yes. let's yes. fix it. Um, and so I'm really, I'm really grateful that they found like uh, the time in, in the narrative for like Julie to get to do her own thing and tell Varric off and mean it and all. It's so good. Although I feel like Julie, you're you took the the component out of the weapon. Drop that. Don't yeah, don't just hide somewhere. it. Don't hide it in your clothes when you got you're surrounded by metal benders. Yeah, when you don't hide metal on your body to pull it out of your. <laughs> <laughs> Not a great plan. She didn't. Yeah, she was thinking she's on good. Toes. She's good. She's good. She Love did Julie. the right thing. I love that she snaps back at Kubi. Uh-huh. She's like, I don't care. You know, like I hate you. You suck. <laughs> Put me away. I did the right thing. Yeah. Um, that's scary. You know, this is, I wanted to talk a, a little more about like what scared me in this season. And if any of you had your own thoughts, um, one thing for me was this idea that, that they have a very heated conversation where, and um, Cora defends Kuvira. Cora's like, well, you know, she didn't attack you guys. And, and people are pissed off that mm-hmm. Kuvira is rolling up to Zafu and, um, you know, asking questions about like, when do you attack the leader of a nation, right? Right. (laughs) When do you cross that line? Certainly on my mind these days, Mm -hmm. for whatever reason. And Mm -hmm. I'm just like, it's a scary thing to be like, when is someone so bad? Yeah. Yeah. As soon as re-education camps enter the picture, Mm -hmm. like, "Mm, Mm -hmm. okay, Mm -hmm. uh uh-huh. Which people should definitely fall down the rabbit hole of re-education camps on Wikipedia and learn that like they were existing until 2013 in China. 2013. I mean, they still exist. Cora was yeah, on the yeah, air. Still there. Yeah, I guess they're, they're they're not, haven't gone anywhere, Matt. Like they're they're. Did in you fact, watch the formal on recently? <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, fair enough. I mean, that's the scary part. That is what the we're living in this world right now, and I don't think people really understand that most of the time and do the reading, do the homework, and but then Kuvera shows up and she's like, yeah, she's actually unifying people. Your friends are on her side. What do you do about a problem like that? I found that very, very mm-hmm. haunting this time around. There were, there was a. uh... You listen to Opal. (laughs) Listen to Opal. Just go ahead and listen to Opal. That'd be great. Thanks. She's on the X Men though. You can't can't Mm -hmm. trust the X Men. Flying squirrels. They might be. Mm. Yeah, they're they're so hard. Team Avatar. You can't. I like that they went full X Men and got the the matching suits and everything. Like it's great. great. It's very much X Men animated series, just like palette swapped almost. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Very much. Um. Yeah, and I like the kids episode um, where the kids are looking for Cora. I think that's a really good episode. I because it has like the the tough stuff in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But well, um, it's also been built to over three seasons because like the kids been around. It's like we see Apex fart bending now. Yeah. What was once just an occasional thing <laughs> is now Milo's signature style. It is a just, new technique. Yeah. yeah. Justice for Iki, like being great yes. at what she does. I love I love yeah. that the like Milo grabs a lot of attention. Janora obviously is like the most advanced in her like skill sets or whatever, but like I like that the show doesn't neglect the middle child. So mm-hmm. yeah. she she's such a good diplomat and politician. Oh, like she is somebody right. who will be in political power eventually because she's right. so good at that. And yeah. like you feel like like you, she got it from Pema because, like, mm-hmm. I like in the final 
Uh, it's hard in a series finale to find something for every single one of your gajillion characters to do, but that like Pema's like helping with evacuation yeah. um, is <laughs> makes me really happy. So. Mm-hmm. Singing songs because she could take care of Milo. She's doing her best. She could take yeah. care of refugees. Yeah, there's well, so many not technically refugee evacuees. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's yeah, it's so terrifying. Or like later in the season, um, Lynn is like, "We're going on an unsection- unsanctioned mission to get our family back." And like, holy crap, you're defying the government who will not help you. It reminded me there was a story a few years ago. I mean, maybe it was a long time ago. I'm not. I could, I tried to dig it up. I couldn't even find it. But there was a story of of families kind of raising money to pay for ransoms for POWs in the war in, in Afghanistan. It's like because the country will actually not help you do yep. that. They will not help you get your like son or daughter back and they had to like try and raise money and try and figure out where they are. They were running their own kind of like covert mission and just like wow, all this stuff is real. <laughs> like I don't uh, I was a I was a human adult when Cora aired and it was haunting then, but I'm just like the more I think about it now, the more there's just so much reality in this show and it's scary and it's asking you to think about so many things like could you make this decision could you do what these characters did to save people or to do i I don't know it's really a tough season even more than the zaheer season where you're like am i uh agreeing with this bad guy (laughs) and now i'm like am i agreeing to rebel against leaders that uh, you know have authority this is scary um cora scary show uh yeah well, yeah, because, because when you do something like that, you <laughs> yeah. have to decide, you have to feel really convinced that what you believe to be right is right. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Which I mean, like, Kuvira feels that way. And look what happens right. with her. But like, if you if you go outside what your government has decided, then you have to feel so sure that you are on the moral path. And that's a scary place to be, because we're used to looking to our institutions, even even the institutions that we disagree with, we can at least just sort of like calibrate our moral decision in opposition to an institution. But to try to like take the reins yourself on something is yeah, yeah. really scary for us. I, I do humans, feel like... Cora goes the next step because there's so much like, um, you know, young adult fiction that is all about rebelling against systems and things. I feel, did we talk about this at one point about like groups rebelling against systems? I feel like maybe you had brought it up, Joanna, but okay. Okay. Maybe this was another podcast, but it's the idea too, that we learned from like freaking, you know, that Harry Potter and hunger games and everything has set up of youth fighting against the system, except now it's like the system looks more like the real world and the problems that you're you're facing are things that feel a little more realistic. So I do like how core is basically a, a little, little bit of a shadow primer for future resistance folks mm. out there. Yeah, that's right. We may need them. <laughs> Save us tomorrow. We fucked it up. Yeah. But I, I think that's fascinating Cora. is <laughs> that ultimately Cora works with Zaheer works with like her enemy and tries to figure out like how so how can they all come together to Uh, mm -hmm. understand the situation that they're in which is something well a lot because zaheer and bolin are good examples of people who are rational people that we like Mm -hmm. that just suddenly have a change in perspective by one piece of new information yeah and yeah. I like it how quickly that it's not a struggle for them. We don't spend an episode where Bolin's like, oh, should I tell them the secret? It's just straight up like, yep. he didn't know about the re-education camps. Now he does. Now he's out. It seems bad. And yeah. Zaheer being like, oh, she just wants to be a new ruler? Well, then I'm on Team Avatar now. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like, 
being able to adapt to new information you know, really helps characters uh, not get hoodwinked. Yes, characters. Um, yeah, and people. I mean, I, yeah, I think there's a lot of good, as opposed to, say, like, book two. I think there's a lot of good personal behavior mm-hmm. being modeled in book four. Of Yeah, uh, I mean, it, and it's a very optimistic uh, perspective, which is that... Um, Cora, in the middle of everything, uh, can bring the radically progressive Zaheer and the flip-flopping, uh, formally voting for the Kuvira <laughs> side of things, and but has seen the light and, and can accept information and truth, bring them all together to defeat fascism. I mean... Wow, wouldn't it be great? Like, I hope Cora's right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, when you have Zaheer, anarchist Zaheer and war yeah. profiteer Varric are both on your side, then you're probably... Oh, uh, it's a compelling the case. Right side? <laughs> well, the nice thing is that she definitely has a large coalition of characters that we care about telling her that she's doing the right thing, which mm-hmm. is really the most democratic thing that happens this season, probably, is the final battle is a final battle. You have the kids throwing like paint balloons level of everybody involved. So if I'm going to be looking at two maybe overzealous authority figures battling it out in the street. I'm going to go with the ones with the cute kids that are also on their side. That seems like maybe a little bit better. And also the ones without re-education camps. That also seems like a good place <laughs> yep, to draw that's, a line. Yeah, that's a, it's, a good, it's a good side picker right there. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, I... Can we take a second to... Um, I don't know if this is fair to spring this on you, but like pick... <laughs> your fate like is there a favorite fight scene like this is the ultimate fight scene of all of Korra in all four books yeah I have to think yeah uh how much can we expand or contract the fight scene I'm I'm not gonna be (laughs) you set your own goalposts here Dave you obviously have something in mind Yes. But you're worried that it's more of a melee than a fight? <laughs> I'm worried it's more like a episode-long fight. Uh, because in uh, Enter the Void, you have Korra and Team Beifong facing off against Sahir and Explodey Dead Lady. Mm-hmm. And you have uh, Mako and Bolin and a very injured Tenzin fighting Water for Arms and Lava Bender. And that fight lasts for like half of that episode of Enter the Void. That's fine. I'll give you, so like season three finale is what you're saying. Yeah. The reason very specifically is I think it shows off a ton of different types of bending that we really like. It's uh, the stakes are very, very high, uh, both with one of the characters dying and Tenzin being in as bad shape as it is. And I think the score and the animation really work well together because uh, Combustion Lady is so percussive mm-hmm. that uh, they learn how to like take the taiko drums and mix <laughs> it in with that. So by the time that's happening and Bolin is like has is forced to lava bend, everything I think sort of peaks. So I'm going to say that's that's the Agni Kai at the end of uh, <laughs> book three of Avatar The Last Airbender for this series for me. I feel that. I feel that. I feel like mine would be somewhere in book three, too. But it's also I do like the fight in Operation Beifong. I like the escalating tension of it. I don't like the CG bots and everything, but I do like, you know, Sue versus Kovira. So like, I, I, give me more metal benders, metal bender versus metal bender action. You guys know what I like. Come on. Yes. Uh, uh, patches. What is mine? I mean, it might be that Kuvera 
Korra fight yeah. uh, in book four, just because I think it has the most the first dynamic. One? I just outside love of, the choreography. Outside of Zaifu. Yeah, 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 outside of Zaifu. Um, yeah. Just, and it's so, like, like, character-based and, like... Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like watching people bend. Like, I like when they have to move their arms a lot and yeah. dance around <laughs> and actually have, like, real choreography. I feel like the choreography in book four is kind of off the charts. It's, it's uh, hard to imagine how you even compose it or how you... I guess they have to stage these fights. I believe they do a lot mm-hmm. of like, let's get in a room and actually fight and then tape ourselves and then. There's a lot um, of tape of Brian it. like acting out the fight, yeah. actually, because he has like a martial arts <laughs> background. It's just really funny. I gotta love it. it. Is that me as a kid? Because it's basically all I did in my bedroom and backyard. So, yeah. Um, There's although, so much video of Brian <laughs> acting things out. Uh, I don't know if you guys have like, it, treat yourself. To the video of Brian and coming up with the like Ang dance uh, for uh, the Fire Nation Footloose episode because it's pretty great. <laughs> so. Speaking of, I I'm gonna have to start rewatching Airbender now. Like I didn't actually do that once it hit Netflix, but it's time. Yeah, it's it's time. time. This has given you the taste. I mean, yeah, I need it more is, of it. It is such a different but equally good flavor mm-hmm. because like Airbender is so good at being like. Here's a 22-minute episode. Yeah. You're going to see a full arc of one character. You're going to meet some things and that maybe come back, but it's like everything's so contained. It's like chapter blank. Here we go. And it's uh, <laughs> very interesting. Whereas like Korra's arcs and greater themes, you know, sort of Korra's give peak some TV, Avatar in the peak yeah. TV world, you know. It's yeah. so much easier yeah, but for episodic me. Avatar yeah. is fantastic. It's so much easier for me to remember episode titles from Avatar than it is Korra. Because you say Enter the Void, mm-hmm. I'm like, what is that? And then you have to explain to me what it is. <laughs> Whereas like mm-hmm. any episode of Avatar, you tell me the episode title, I know what episode that is because mm-hmm. the, it is so episodic. Um uh, my favorite fight I think is the uh is Operation Beifong. Um yeah. because it's got that like the cool metal bending fights, which is, are just amazing. Plus, like, the emotion of, like, Toph and her daughters and, like, everything that's going on there. I, yeah. I felt that in my heart. Like, the, yeah. the Beifong family fighting together. Like, that yeah. is the family that fights together stays together, right? It's really good. Then I'm going to need to pull Patches to my side. Patches, don't you love it when the Red Lotus <laughs> tries to kidnap Korra from Zaofu oh, and so the Metal good. Benders have yeah. to fight I mean, I, against? I, yes, I do really like that because you get every type of bending. And that's it's also... Real, that's my second favorite one. The yeah. geography of that fight. Like, you know where yeah. all the rooms are. You know where everyone's positioned around when they're in the middle. And, like, I like the geography of that. Um, I was also trying to think, is there a book one... I just can envision Lynn swinging around with her metal bending Spider-Man. Uh, Book one has like great moments, like Lynn mm-hmm. taking down the airships by yes. herself. So yeah, it's good. more like, like incredible amazing. visuals that you would want in like a still frame. But I just well, don't and think it's like we're like spikes. emotionally invested enough yet. Like I like right. mm-hmm. w- the way I feel about Lynn Beifong at the end of season book four is so different from the way I feel about her in book one, even though I like her in book one. Like we've just gone through, we've seen her sweat out through acupuncture poison <laughs> yeah. you know whatever reconcile with her Definitely mother the weirdest thing that happens <laughs> and everything yeah. it's very strange i think it, it there's also something about book one where because the core part of the series is bending versus anti-bending mm-hmm. like aman's fights are supposed to be fast and basically one-sided like he just it's just pure martial he shows arts. up he dodges yeah. three things yeah. and then he boop, 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 and you're done yeah so i think like a lot of it uh, there were a lot of great bending moments in book one, but I don't think it's going to mm-hmm. have the greatest bending fight just because 
that's not what book one was. And, but, in, and it, yeah. it depends how much you like weird spirit shit because <laughs> Korra fighting Unalak is also has like a ton of high level bending. In terms of best sound design, world. I do feel like that one is up there. Just well, for the I would, I would, Yeah, I was going to yeah. say in defense of book two, I often get into this very esoteric <laughs> conversation with people about like what's an action movie versus what's a spectacle movie. And like mm. John Wick is an action movie. Yes. Director DVD action movies are often sure. what I would classify as action, like fight movies. And then mm-hmm. Marvel movies aren't really like action movies. A lot of times they're just spectacle movies. <laughs> or like Roland um, Emmerich, like, like just like, large yes, scale yes. destruction. A disaster yeah, movie, that's yeah, like spectacle. That, that is yeah. spectacle. And or yeah, well, and like, so I would say yeah. like Winter Soldier is an action movie. Yeah. Yes, is veering like, more toward that. But like Endgame is a spectacle movie. Correct, mm-hmm. exactly. Winter Soldier exactly. probably their first action movie. You know, like just in mm. terms of good choreography and anything. I don't want to go down this rabbit hole. I will say <laughs> my, my point is my point is the yes. end of book two. The fight with the kaiju is incredible in its own way. I do doesn't, like it. it doesn't feel anything like it's not coming to mind when I think of the best fights, but it definitely comes <laughs> right, to mind as but the best action. But when you action. think about like when you think about that fight, like the image at least that comes to my mind because they keep repeating it is like Unalak bends his head backwards <laughs> and a dark goo comes out of his mouth in the Korra's mouth and yanks a white spirit out yeah. of her. Like that's fucking terrifying yeah. yeah bending looks really cool but that's you know like a completely different level of weird uh supernatural body horror they they uh, certainly that... started pushing things i feel like that's the thing we learned right season two pushed into the spirit world uh season one it felt like they just they built this world but they didn't push it too far because they didn't know how if there was going to be more right yeah, like they didn't know how big the story was going to be but the the ba- the Bayfong stuff and the airship is sort of like such a great use of space because that's all around the Coliseum. It is her really, you know, using metal bending in that way. And then they build on that. Like the future Mm -hmm. best action sequences are all about knowing the space and how you create action in that space. It's a very John Woo thing um, where he would, I, I remember in interviews, he would say like, he basically just walks around the set and is just like, what is cool here? How do I make this interesting? And that's how like, you know, in hard boiled, the just, sliding down the staircase banister shooting guns he was like that would look interesting and that's a good use of this space that already exists so yeah. they really started that in season one mm-hmm. and then i think they learned a lot uh with season three doing like what's the apex bending for this style and mm-hmm. let's make a villain based off it which is great and then kuvira is just like efficiency with metal bending i think i was reading a piece today on polygon.com mm. about kuvira <laughs> being the apex of metal bending ah. and how that uh metal bending was invented by Toph as like earth which is something that is malleable and changeable like a human being metal is even stronger but sometimes even more malleable for those to know how to bend the metal or say like bend the metal inside maybe patches but the idea that even after going through apex bending villains, Kuvira still presents as something completely different just because of her efficiency and confidence. Uh, this is the thing from like her first uh, battles in the season where she's uh, chasing bandits uh, basically by herself, even though she has a train full of army uh, mechs. <laughs> uh, all the way through, I think, if, like a great oh shit it's about to go down moment is in the finale when Korra finally gets up to the head of the big mech and we realize her little control spheres have been meteorite metal the whole time. So Kuvira is literally surrounded with the deadliest metal and then they get to fight that in the uh, cockpit, which is shifting. Yeah, the cockpit fight is great. Mm -hmm. And it is is fantastic. It's It's like 
confined you claustrophobic is thrown fight, into yeah. a confined space with the deadliest metal bender yeah. <laughs> uh, known known to man. Yeah, so good. Yeah, and the the camera moves in within that cockpit. Um, mm-hmm. It's weird. I I still have a hard time talking about camera moves in animation, but that is like it's a huge. Um, I mean, that's the beauty of this show. It it feels like camera moves in live action, even when they're impossible. And why so many live action filmmakers have uh, animation envy. I'm thinking about like Robert Zemeckis, like, oh, you can do anything with the camera, but still emulate reality. Like it's wicked. And then you have people like Brad Bird, who's like, I wonder if I can do what I did in animation and and bring it to live action. And as much as Ghost Protocol is good, the answer is no. The answer is absolutely no. The answer is no, except for... The jailbreak scene at the beginning of Ghost. The jailbreak and, and the <laughs> and the the tower Burj scale, yeah, like yeah, the Burj Khalifa yeah. is good. But I feel like uh, now we're a Mission Impossible podcast. But just the scenes where people talk to each other in that movie just seem awkwardly staged because he he can't control people the way he does cartoons. You know, I, so, I blame yeah. Renner for that entirely. Uh, no, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah. He's a CG character, so he's, <laughs> a, he's he's the one animated. It's not real. <laughs> um. <laughs> I, I want to go back and talk about Toph uh, really quickly and say, like, it's interesting. Um, uh, Dave, where was it you said you saw that um, Apex Metal Bending uh, article? Uh, Polygon.com. Oh, it's, a it's, it's a website It's a website about video games, wow. which is yeah, which, which it threw me. Right. Yeah. I was going to find out if Captain America could break <laughs> doors with his shield, and I stumbled across wow. that. Wow. Okay, content. cool. cool oh, Captain cool. America so. can break towards with this show. <laughs> so, okay, so, that wasn't always doors. the case. That wasn't always the That's case. True. So so yeah. polygon.com, great, great resource. Um what I think is interesting, you know, like so Toph does this great thing where she's like, you give does she say metal benders a bad name? Or earthbenders? I forget what she says, but whatever it is, it's like uh, emotionally devastating, I hope, for Kuvira. Um, <laughs> I think it be. is metal benders, yeah. <laughs> because it is the thing, like it is Toph's baby, you know? Yeah. Um, but that's the thing is like metal Toph invented metal bending. And what's so interesting about Toph in Avatar is that, you know, she's like I, I love uh the, the episode in Avatar, The Last Airbender, where Toph teaches um Aang how to earth bend. Like it's just so interesting her philosophy of earth bending and what it means to her and stuff like that. And she invents metal bending, but Toph never strikes you as like a very spiritual person mm-hmm. in Avatar. And the fact that she has found this spiritual aspect of her bending in this, you know, in her advanced age, in her Yoda dotage in the swamp, you know, like, and and the fact that she like feels connected to everything and the fact that Kuvira's bending is not, even though she's drawing power from the same like spirit vines, stuff like that is not connected to spirituality, I think is really interesting. And the last thing I want to say about that, the thing that like breaks my heart that the, that the meme kids uh, were the ones to draw my attention to <laughs> is that in Avatar, the last airbender Toph has a line about like, do you really think that there are friendships like that that can like transcend lifetimes? And um, I think it's Katara. She's asking Katara says like, I hope so or something like that. Maybe Aang says it. And then mm-hmm. when, Aww. when Cora shows up and she's like, you know, I'd recognize you anywhere, Tinkle Toes. You're just like, there it is, her friendship that's transcending <laughs> a lifetime. And she that actually I thought was a little creepy. More. That guy, that freaked me out. I keep forgetting it, like, truly incarnated. I, I don't know. That's reincarnated. I, that's well, and Cora conveniently doesn't tell her that, that like, actually, no, Aang's dead. He got ripped out of me. Oh, by, God, uh, for good. Evil I Apple. often forget that. Too. Dark Avatar. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think... That all, Although, was that also, true? Because... She was uh, reconnected, but not to the ancestors, just to the spiritual she's, side. She could, yeah. she could start again, but it mm-hmm. starts with Korra, because Ravu, Ravo was reborn. Mm-hmm. From so the she's she's the new first avatar essentially. 
She's the yeah, new one. She's the new first the Avatar, new which I think okay. has been backed up by publishing after the series. Okay. Uh, because I think there's a Nickelodeon book about like Legend of Korra for young adults uh, that is mostly like about the world building of the series. But what is the fascism? way they the way they frame it is. <laughs> Go read the way the they news. frame it is it's it's a book that uh, Korra and Asami are writing to the new Avatar. <laughs> Whoa! Because it's like you know you don't have you won't you won't have the experience right. that I had because I got to talk to my past. So here is what you need to know about being oh, the Avatar. That's beautiful too. So speaking of Korra and Asami and writing things, <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah, let's talk about this. Yeah. Uh, the ending of the Legend of Korra was a really really big deal and now we've had some time to really think about it and we've had time to watch the world react to it we've also had a chance to see that i think that the animation community the television community pop culture itself it, it expand its horizons and feel like anything was possible uh it, this did not feel possible before cora right right uh, and it this feels is like obviously it feels so possible if you it feels so tame yeah now, it feels it so, so tame now. revolutionary then especially no. after like steven universe right where there right. there's so many great uh relationships there between all sorts of genders it's crazy yeah um Patches is the one who alerted me to this is this is forever something I feel kind of guilty about that like Matt Patches is the one who's like have you watched the finale and I'm like no and he's like oh my god I think at the end I think that they're like it's core watch it uh, and so I did like a screener and uh, and then I wrote about it and the piece I wrote did really well and I felt guilty like I had scooped patches on something that he oh no you well i was freelance and you had an outlet so i think yeah. that the difference was you could make that piece happen in a, in a more prominent place i'm glad that it did because i thought that that piece <laughs> got a, a lot of exposure in a good way for this moment i mean cora was still kind of niche i think well, Korra yeah, is a bigger I, deal and more yeah. people have discovered avatar and cora over the over the I years had, so. i had some difficulty convincing my editors to let me write that uh piece um and then it was like our top uh, our most traffic piece of the year um, was Cora saw me. Um, <laughs> and I think, and I think part of that is because um, it was a debate. It felt open-ended enough and Mike and Brian didn't weigh in on it immediately that there were a bunch of people being like, no, they're not. Yeah. They're just pals going on a trip. <laughs> just, just pals in like, each other's gal, eyes. Gals yeah. who are pals going on a trip to the spirit <laughs> world. How do, why do you liberals have to make everything so gay? Um, and so like people were just sort of like trying to find proof where they could. And like God. I think, uh, you know, uh, we took the stance that this is absolutely what this is. Um, oh, I remember so. it was a different conversation whether you're the person you were talking to had like watched other animes or not mm -hmm. because if you watch anime you're like oh they're holding hands that's basically like spitting in each other's mouths in like the western <laughs> world so like absolutely that's what it was supposed to mean whereas like there was a lot more nuance there for the argument uh, for an audience that maybe wasn't into like harem anime which is fine if it's not all for you <laughs> who's that who's that woman who's the worst on youtube Oh man, where to begin one? with? That I don't, one? I don't want to take a guess. Oh, and, yeah, is it because I might guess wrong? Or, I'm gonna guess or, Grace Randolph. Yeah, yeah, it? uh, it's Grace Randolph. Okay, 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 good. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm, that's not my opinion. I'm just guessing we, based on we, the information you provided. This? I'm guessing that Joanna is thinking about yeah, Grace Randolph. Yeah, just, Grace Randolph. <laughs> I want to be clear. You're you said something and I guessed. And yeah. you're all <laughs> right. And you're all no. You're not getting canceled today. Um, Great. She's the worst in general. <laughs> but like I think we weren't at the time 
quite so ready for her like bad takes. Anyway, she had a strong anti Korasami like really? stance. Yeah, and like many videos about it. And I was like, listen, lady. Oof. No. Mm-hmm. And then I felt so vindicated when Brian and Mike came out and were like on tum- on Tumblr as per usual. Um, yeah. took to their tumblers and were like, Yeah, no, this is what this is. Oh, her take was like, it's not real, you're all make you're all seeing things here. Yeah, essentially. you're all oh, like creating gayness where there is. And like, it was a time. But it's so gay. Like, it's just, look. Well, it and also what I wanted to bring up was that we didn't know this was going to happen. Obviously, huge no. surprise. And my first instinct was not to watch the whole series again after this. But like, book four, just full of lovely, flirty, this is definitely happening in oh, real moments. sending letters. Like, yeah. Oh my gosh. It's, yeah. it's so full of love. It's awesome. It's yeah, sexy. Uh, they, they get a whole, <laughs> they get a whole little section of the clip show, even mm-hmm. with exactly. not even that it's, much it's money so to spend on it. I we mean, still get, we still get a romantic Korosami. Yeah, the sexual drawing. energy is just off the charts during those parts. <laughs> but it's, it's I, I think, unreal. like, even on a character level, Asami is the only one she talked to when she was away. Like, she wrote her letters. Mm-hmm. She's and truly that's filling it. the that's, Mako role. That connection is there. Yeah, draw, you know, draw your connections, folks. Like, it makes a lot of sense. And that's why Mako is mad. Mako is upset when all of the, he realizes that Korra has not been talking to him. He's talking, yeah. she's talking it's to like, Asami. This is my job. I'm the handsome guy. What? Yeah, I'm the love interest. What the hell? Yeah. Now um, you're yeah. leaving me with Wu. No, all I have to be romantically interested in is Wu, apparently. I Damn just, it. Well, I, just I found, guess. I just found the Grace Randolph video just to oh, make sure yeah. that I wasn't like, un- unfairly maligning her. Oh, okay, don't fair. go find it, guys, because mm. like... I don't want to give her any more clicks on this, but here's, I was just, I just want to read from the description. Um, uh, Grace Randolph discusses if Korasami is real or if Nickelodeon is trying to cash in on Disney's Frozen by highlighting Korra and Asami's friendship. And if Korra and Asami are lovers, is that just fan service? And should they have been allowed to kiss? Enjoy this review. I'm like, I didn't enjoy this review, Grace Randolph. I don't like you at all. Um, Way to have an aggressive middle bear Goldilocks strategy that no one likes. Am I making this up or have Mike and Brian said that they wanted them to kiss? They did. Mm-hmm. They okay. wanted more, more, and then and then they released that art of them like on on vacation together in the spirit world. I mean, I know there's been more comic book stuff, but do you remember that? Like that was sort of like the first right. like they're like canoodling in a boat uh, in the spirit world, and you're like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Devendra remembers them kissing. Yeah, well, that, it is it is the funny thing where so much we have so much art from after the show and of what people actually wanted. But when I finished my rewatch, I was like, I thought they actually kissed. I at really the thought end. they kissed in that portal. Yeah, yeah. Or at least that's what I always wanted in my mind's eye. But it's just funny how memory can kind of trick you like that because the fans created the reality they wanted, and that seeped into my brain as like the actuality. So, just, yes, it's funny. Yeah, it's it's interesting because like if you think about the times, so this is 2014, mm-hmm. um, and it was really peak. It was really a tipping point for the culture in terms of like th- that idea of a fan canon of like Korasami as fan canon versus like what uh, Brian and Mike actually intended was like really strong at the time because yeah there was like Elsa's gay get a girlfriend for Elsa or um 
a year later, The Force Awakens comes out and everyone's like, Finn and Poe, Finn and Poe. Like, oh my God, it's right there. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so this is at the at a point where like an audience so thirsty for representation was like looking for um, any sort of subtext. And there was a lot of gay baiting going on in in like certain, you know, like Supernatural did it. Like a bunch of, a bunch of like people like seeing what was popular in Tumblr were like, oh, Sherlock gay baited the hell out of his audience and stuff like that, you know? So like, um, and like gaslit them. Like that's what really bothered me is when people were like, mm-hmm. "Why are you just like seeing things that aren't there?" And I'm like, "No, the shows are putting it in there <laughs> to try to like appease their gay audience without getting in trouble, quote unquote, uh, you know, with like conservative fans or whatever." And the fact that we're like we've moved past that now, it's like it's insane that that was a time, and that was a time that I was like writing for <laughs> Vanity Fair, like beginning to write for Vanity Fair, and I wrote a lot about like this sort of like shipping, like people brush off shipping, but like, Ooh, can I can I piggy? back on that I, that big idea you're making and ask you a question about another big idea for yeah. fiction sure yes did it, did I let JK Rowling get away with Dumbledore is gay because I was in a period of time where I was trying to find representation everywhere <laughs> Yes. It's, part, it's part of it. Absolutely. We were like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And now it's also I, just cool. It's like, oh, well, I want we want that to be true, right? Mm-hmm. Well, but I think I think yeah. what what exposed that <laughs> for the like really empty gesture it was, we were yes. like, bravo. Bravo, JK. So brave. Um, but what exposed it for the empty gesture that it was was when they made Fantastic Beasts and Dumbledore's in it and they're like, yes. he's not gonna be exactly. gay in that. And that and then you're like Okay, that meant nothing. What you did yep. meant nothing. You know, and all along the way, she was like, "And the Jewish wizards were off screen," yeah. and we were like, "Okay, yay, Jewish wizards!" Yeah. And now, now look what enabling that has got. I, I, yeah, I want to be clear that Dumbledore is gay. Saying that is is cool, but then you are you wait for the moment for her to make good on it, and the longer it went without some sort of making good on that, the more it becomes an empty gesture. And certainly with Fantastic yeah. Beasts, I think it we just went, we went through this. We went through the sine wave. Completely, <laughs> uh, because as a luckily, note, it, it, Avatar she, yeah. still has enough to provide context to where it doesn't necessarily feel. Unlike, I don't think. Like unlike you know, unlike Korra, a creator can say that, and you can go back and you can look at the text and be like, "It's there, oh, actually. Yeah, yes, yeah. it is there." And oh, I yeah. think Korra is like that, and and Harry Korra. Potter is not. Yeah, Cora mm-hmm. writing only to Asami at the beginning of the season, and like especially the way she describes it, she's like, "I just don't know what it is. Like, I don't feel like I can be honest with them about how I feel, and like, please don't tell them, and please don't like tell them I'm only running to you because I don't want to hurt their feelings." Like that is just like someone so lost, and there's yeah. only one like safe harbor for her, and it's Asami, and that's just like you know, there it is, can, it's right there. Let me open a small can of worms, even though I privately all message you. We should wrap up soon. Um, <laughs> Oh. <laughs> what? That. Sorry, it's fine. No, no, I, it's I, fine. So we could go a little later if we need to. Do it's you okay. think Kuvera is written in a way that has something to do with this arc with Korra and Asami, the the sexual identity part of it's this? Like, do you think? I think she's gay coded. I think that a lot I think of so like, too. And the fiance stuff is so pronounced, more than yes. I remember. Just like they keep, ins- she keeps insisting she has a fiance, but doesn't mind blowing him away. Oh, <laughs> right? Like sure. wh- yeah. that seems interesting to me. That she doesn't feel very in love but she yeah. has a fiance and i'm wondering what that is all about and i i oh, and, and then at the like scene so that they have beard. at the end where yeah. kavira is in her arm in cora's yes. arms i'm like this is a different relationship that could have happened they feel like you're... on the same wavelength yes i i agree what you're saying about the fiance thing but i would almost say that like it plays in 
to Kuvira as a character in the sense that she's almost asexual. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like she's so focused on the thing. Like I, when her relation with Batar Jr. I see as her like only chance at being seen as a legitimate metal bender from Zaofu and not some weird orphan that Suyin took in that then like turned about it. Uh, and then I think she voices that when she confronts Suyin uh, later on. So it doesn't read like an absence of love just as a you view marriage as a social contract that can help you like consolidate power or says something to other people. Uh, and I think Batar thinking that it's Batar Jr. thinking that it's based on love is actually her kind of like hoodwinking him, but not necessarily out of mm-hmm. malice. No. Just like, well, now you're done. He's a he's a tool. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. Just like needs, Bolin was a tool. Yeah. yeah. And she needs a Beifong to legitimize her. Yeah. Career. I don't yeah, think absolutely. that I don't think that uh Cora, you know, could have kissed her better or anything. Like, well, I just no, think I want loves loves completely out of the hmm. picture. I don't for think Pash is saying that. I disagree. I think I think anyone who's obsessed with the Avatar, which she is to a certain degree, like, mm-hmm. um, ha, you know, has the potential for that. And like, I think that, um, well, I, I I would be remiss in recording an episode of this podcast without mentioning uh tiktok overtly and i will say i've seen a lot of videos of young gen z bi and gay women uh the the phrase they use is simping simping for kuvira and they're like not me simping for the fascist but they think she's like a gay icon they think kuvira is a gay icon they think lynn's a gay icon too but like that's 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 the wildness of avatar there's something about avatar and Mm -hmm. korra not just the Korasami thing that like really encourages like all f- fan shipping, yes. all sexual orientation mm-hmm. shipping. Um, they just you know, lo- leave a, really, a lot of room a- for it. Like mm-hmm. with yeah. Lynn, her relationship with Tenzin didn't go over well, but they're still like best buds. Um, they're like, kind I of wouldn't say best buds, but yeah. Well, they put I it mean, into their world yeah. building because it's not, we're told from Avatar The Last Airbender that like there are multiple cultures, they deal with marriage in different ways, they deal mm-hmm. with relationships in different ways. But the um, show is really smart in they're never shaming the relationship. Yeah. We're never shown world building what should be a relationship or what is allowed in terms of like these broad things like, you know, basically our world definitions of what relationships should be like, what politics should be like, what gender should be like. They do a really good job at world building, I think, through positivity. So all of our villains have a relatable point of view. We're never shown somebody who like loves a melon and everyone's like, fuck him for loving that melon. If he loves the melon, it's like, (laughs) there's our melon loving dude and he's our favorite character in the episode because the melon loving dude has a moment. I think it's all... Uh, you know, positivity, or even like, even if mm-hmm. it's criticism, it's criticism through positivity, which is super important and not letting it edge, edge into bigotry. So I, I guess you're right in the sense that, you know, I, I don't want to label a sexuality on people like Lynn and Kuvira, because maybe the point is that's our world and trading too much on this thing mm-hmm. in a way that it, it shouldn't. Um, well. the, uh, the official ch- ship for Korra and Kavira is Kovira, just so you guys know, which is a little sure. too close to COVID for my taste, but that's mm. okay. Um, and I, I want to do a dramatic reading of this Reddit comment oh, that I yes. found from a year ago. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I'm a dedicated anti-fascist, but goddamn, 
Kavira could run my arms over in her magnetic train and send me to a work camp for the rest of my life, and I would thank her for uniting the Earth Empire. Holy so, shit! Yeah, wow. That's 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 the uh, that's the kids. Wow, uh, loving on Kavira. Hey, so here's Love a, triumphs over hate. <laughs> here's a tip to American fascists: your leader's too ugly. Yes, get you a. You're not. You're not. You're not winning any. <laughs> If you're only winning through bigotry, <laughs> you could be have positive reinforcement and just make people fascist because uh, you have a, a charismatic, attractive leader. On a, on a similar note, this season ends with Kuvira uh, learning a lesson, wising mm-hmm. up, giving mm-hmm. herself up, and allowing her to be walked off screen in chains with Su Yin scolding her and saying, uh, you're, you're going to answer for everything you've done. And it felt yeah. um, like a real dream. What an idealistic mm-hmm. finale to this season. It, do- yeah. it actually almost feels out of step in 2020. <laughs> I'm like, uh, no, Kuvira would go out in a, a flames and uh, bring a- as many people down with her as possible, I would assume. But uh, no, everything is kind of peachy in the end. Mm-hmm. They learn lessons, and um, that's sweet. It made me feel nice, but also made me go, hmm. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, Kuvira, you're going to pay for the half of Republic City you chopped off from the other half, <laughs> which is like... Can you think of the property damage? This is the only time in my life I'm going to be on a podcast being like, think of the property damage. But think of the property damage of letting that spirit gun just wildly swing around. If you oh. care more about the buildings of Rosalie City Dispatch than you do the cause of keeping Wu out of office, then I don't know what to tell you, Dave. Rosalie City Dispatch is our podcast, and sorry, I love my sorry. apartment very much. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, well, that that's the end of the legend of Korra. I guess our final note here should be: What do you think of the whole series now that you've rewatched it in modern times? And I don't know. Did it take on? Do you feel differently about it at all? I still love it. So yeah, nothing has changed. Even better. Yeah. Is it better? I mean, yeah. I guess that's the real question. Has it has it aged like fine wine? Dave, is it like fine wine? <laughs> is it like fine wine? As a drinker of fine wine. Here is the thing that I'm, it's going to separate the people listening to our podcast into two different camps. If, you were, if this is also a rewatch for you because you were with us the first time, I think you've had the ultimate core experience because the show is good. Even in retrospect, if you go back and you look at it as a pod, that's good. But we also went through it uh, taking your questions every week having Tumblr interactions with people, not knowing the end of the series. Mm -hmm. And that was also good, but I feel like that was unrecapturable. I mean, even if you're watching this for the first time uh, and you're having conversations with people, that's absolutely a great way uh, to watch it. But the way Devinder talked about the fandom sort of being able to manifest its own reality was a feeling we were feeling having Mm -hmm. an active conversation with this show. Uh, I think that's also different with just like binging something versus watching something week to week as it airs. So I think the fullest experience, I think Legend of Korra, what I learned watching Legend of Korra in 2020 is the show's good. The show's good. You could watch it at any point. You're going to be, it's broad enough and specific enough to apply to whatever's happening in the real world uh, in a way that I think Avatar functions more like a Lord of the Rings fable that you're not, you know, outside of like, here's the good guys, here's the bad guys. Like, I guess you're left with World War II if you want to be that black and white about it. Yeah. Um, so I think that it's a complex piece of world building and fiction that that holds up, but I, I can't go back home again to 
to first airing of Korra with you guys, which was uh, a memory. That, we will always have that. Yeah. Yeah. I have that nostalgia for it. Literally, you like, could probably listen spark. to it and hear about no. it. Oh, yeah. yes. I, yeah. I can and have. <laughs> I listened Aww. to the last episode of Republic City Dispatch a lot. Wow. Because we're all like, we did it. It's fine. And then Patches is like, well, we'll see you out there. And then. Uh, <laughs> Dave gets uh, a little emotional. It is. Aww. And here we are again. Maybe yeah. Well, listen, that. it's not over. There Do will be, as we've friendships heard. friendships can transcend lifetimes? <laughs> no. Of <laughs> <laughs> what about from Matt? Does not believe yes, they can transcend other podcasts. Okay. Yeah, it transcends <laughs> shows. <laughs> um, well, yes, as David just said, there will be maybe more Avatar in the future. Who, Let's talk about knows? the comics. Come on. There's more. Yeah. Let's review got, the TikToks. I should pick them up. Review the TikToks. There we I mean, go. The, Devendra recommended we start another podcast. The podcast will yeah. still yeah, be open. Bingo card complete. Yeah, yeah. I, I really hope there's more Avatar animated or Avatar live action or Avatar that Brian and Mike are involved in. I mean, one thing that I have really been confronted by this time around, um, watching the show and talking about it in 2020, is just more people coming at it and to be like, and we talked about this in the first episode, but like... I'll I'll t- I'll say how much I love it and like how the politics and the characterization is so unique and detailed and uh, and then someone will be like the show's so white you know the co- creators are white and the voice actors are like the way that it dealt with culture it kind of like Americanized Eastern culture in Korra that in some ways that people felt mm. uncomfortable with and and I say that uh, both to just be aware of it for myself. I don't necessarily, you know, like I, I believe in that criticism. It, it, and especially if you're coming at it for the first time, that cr- criticism is totally valid because I think a lot of people have built off Korra. And, and that's what I really treasure about this series. It feels like it both um, changed animation, especially TV storytelling forever. And it taught us so many lessons, especially in retrospect, as people make more shows. I would imagine future versions of Avatar will will hear those notes and hear that and um, expand writers' rooms or expand creatives uh, who are involved with it. And it will be interesting to see that. I mean, we talked on the first episode about rumors that maybe that's the reason Mike and Brian <laughs> left that live-action Avatar series. We may never know the answer to that, but I, I hope that people watch this show and see why... People like us loved it so much, um, and, and all the fans loved it so much in the beginning, and why people still do today, even though it has flaws. It definitely has flaws, and that's good. Um, yeah. I just need you guys to know that I texted my friend Kristen Russo, who is a <laughs> certified expert in all things gay, some gifts of Kuvira, and she said, <laughs> I said, is this character gay? And she said, queer for sure. Cannot tell specifically. Could be non-binary. Could be gay. Could be both. So that's the 2020 that's, take. That's the expert. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I bet. Yeah, I Kuvira. bet we did not say on the uh, original ending. <laughs> is Kuvira non-binary? <laughs> did not I mean, well, Kuvira. You know what the funny thing is? Kuvira reminds me of the villains that would show up in like Sailor Moon, and those in the American adaptation. Right? They a lot of them were, um, I believe. Yeah, they were converted. Like. Um, w- some of them were converted into being different genders because I believe there were same-sex villains, like same-sex couple villains and everything that were uh, that they just couldn't really handle in an American dub. So if you look at her art and you look at her face um, and look at some Sailor Moon villains, like it is very similar. I wonder if that was on purpose because there was so much anime callbacks Hmm. in this show. Yeah. Yeah. Like actual coding. Yeah. Like, here we go, guys. 
we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna tell you like it is <laughs> well i i think the only thing to do then is to watch the entire series again right that's the only <laughs> way we could end see you in five six years or so when it's on uh paramount plus it already is on cbs all access <laughs> um, oh my god yeah do we just do this every time there's a new or does it have to like transcend another format so it's like hey guys Core is on VR. Time to get the gang back together. I think that's right. Hey, I, I watched Core to... in VR. It's fine. Yeah. It's great. Uh, oh, no. It's like Core's already on VR. It's already on okay. VR. We'll yeah. figure it out. Sky projections. That's the newest. Wait, how did you watch post-COVID. Korra in VR? It's not that hard. You, there, there are Netflix apps and every every VR <laughs> platform. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna be too old hard. to do the podcast on the next. You format, put on the headset, Korra you tap is. Netflix, and you press Korra. Core and VR. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, that's I mean, great. That sounds cool. I would do it. Where, what website do you write for, Matt Patches? Uh, hey, my, I'm not tech. <laughs> Devendra's tech. I believe you reviewed, um, your site did review a VR headset. So I you should get hey, that guys. What websites do we all write for? Yeah, you're Let's right. Start yeah, yeah. With Let's wrap Hardwire. this up. <laughs> I write for Engadget.com. I write about tech there. I also podcast about movies and TV at SlashFilm.com. How so long has the SlashFilm cast been going? Avenger. I mean, we celebrated 10 years, and that was a while ago. So, yeah, since 2008, we've been running. Wow. Yeah. You're as old as Iron Man. Still going, and, you know, the mics get better, we get older, so it goes. Old as <laughs> Iron Man is such a weird tick, because, like, which Iron Man? Because he's, uh, he's first Iron young, Man. The first fact, Iron Man. Yeah, well, movies. He's younger than a lot of versions of Iron Man. Anyway, never mind. Patches. <laughs> this Patches, is how, where this do you, is how where far do you... back things go. By the way, let me just say, my co-host Dave Chen and I, we watched Iron Man in the cinema <laughs> in our college town. That's how far back this goes. So yeah, but Matt, do your thing. Yeah, do it. I, I will. Do I'm Matt thing. Patches, and I am an editor, senior editor at Polygon, the aforementioned Polygon, and uh, I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches, and I podcast weekly with Dave and on Fighting in the War Room, so go listen to that for more podcast conversation, too. That's oh. correct. Hey, Joanna Robinson, do you have any other podcasts? <laughs> yeah, I talked to Dave about a TV show called Lost. If you want to talk about bad dads like Saito or bad... <laughs> Pseudo moms like Suyin is to Kavira, uh, then have I got a podcast for you? Uh, yeah, Lost uh, Storm, a Lost Rewatch podcast. Uh, you can listen to us talk about that. It's great. It's great fun. We have a great time. We do a lot of bonus stuff on there. It's it's fantastic. We also I also work for Vanity Fair and I do a couple podcasts for them. Still watching is one I do with Richard Lawson. We are watching uh, the Luca Guadagnino We Are Who We Are HBO Ooh. miniseries nice. and. Uh, and then Little Gold Men, uh, which I do with friend of the pod, Kitty Rich. And we talk about award season, which is super weird right now. So come join us for that weirdness. <laughs> Give Cora all the awards. <laughs> Why not? And I'm Dave Gonzalez. I'm not writing for any websites right now. Don't go on Twitter. It's a hell site. Thank you very much for listening. Farewell. What? No, no, but that can't be the end. I'm not going to listen to myself briefly wrap up the podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening again to what I guess is volume two of Republic City Dispatch. It's been fantastic to not only interact with each other, but to interact with you, the fandom. And uh, thank you for continuing to tweet us in the intervening uh, like eight years uh, every time something new Cora comes up uh, to let us know that you want more Republic City Dispatch we really enjoy bringing it to you and honestly will as soon as our like schedules possibly can open (laughs) and go out and fight the good fight be inspired by Cora 
Mm, uh, that's right. Do not simp for Kuvira outside of your your blogs. That's no, fine. reality makes it very uh, easy to not simp for our, cur- uh, f- our current fascists. <laughs> be, be Antifa in your heart and uh, and in your actions, and go out there and make the world a place. Uh, you know, be the core you'd like to see in the world. Be your own avatar. Yeah. Yeah. Farewell. <laughs> <laughs>